Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. These are the words that Zechariah the prophet speaks many, many years before Christ enters Jerusalem as he proclaims that God is coming to bring peace to the nations and salvation and righteousness to Jerusalem. He's going to bring to the daughter of Zion the gifts that God brings to humanity. And that's what we are celebrating today as Palm Sunday is a celebration of all that Jesus came to be for us. He was born of a virgin. He takes on our frail and human flesh so that sinners can be righteous and enter into the kingdom of heaven. He earns for us adoption into the family of God. And he pays the full penalty of our sins, thus rendering each and every one of us holy. And so as we begin Holy Week this week, we get to see and know how all of this is worked out for us. We know how Jesus is made king of the people of God as the king triumphantly enters into his holy capital city. And we know he rides to Jerusalem to be rejected by men to suffer dishonor and to die. We know that Jesus knows this too. As he said so, he says as he was on his journey to Jerusalem with his disciples, twice he had already told them they did not understand it, and now a third time, right before the events of his triumphal entry, he says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will rise. And so here we have Jesus riding on the donkey, a lowly king entering his holy city to be killed by his own subjects, all because he loves them. It had to be this way. Our Lord rides into town. He's heralded by the crowds as the son of David. They welcome him as their Messiah and King. They spread their cloaks and the palm branches on the road. They shout their joyous hosannas to their beloved Messiah. Yet, what can we say? He does not enter the city beloved by everyone. He does not come to unseat earthly powers and take up an earthly throne. He does not come to create an earthly kingdom. He's not followed by an army that will enforce his will upon the populace. He comes in weakness and meekness. He is humbled and mounted on a donkey. And his power to rule is not from a sword, but from his impending humiliation and death. This is perfect. This is beautiful. This is good. This is exactly the way Jesus would have it. And why? Because this is the only way that we can truly know our God. This is the only way that we can truly behold the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and receive him with joy. It's through the humility it is through the death of the beloved Son of God. It's when you see the man riding to his death that redeems sinners that you can behold God as he desires for us to see him. 
to receive him in this way, in humility, bearing the burden of the world's sin, is to receive life and salvation. You can't receive that in any other way. You cannot go God rightly apart from Christ in humiliation, riding into Jerusalem to die. And why? Because to greet and behold Christ in any other way would be too terrible for you. We would melt under the terror of our sin. Because either Jesus comes to Jerusalem as a humble Savior, or as he comes as a wrathful judge. That's one or the other. You, can you imagine... Can you imagine the terror and every sinner in Jerusalem as they would have felt as Christ would come, not in perfect humility, but in perfect power? Can you imagine the destruction that would pour out before him if he did not enter Jerusalem with his cross in sight? It would have been miserable for everyone. It would have been horrible. It would have been terrifying. Every sinner would have despaired God because of their sins. And they would have burned their hearts and their consciences and fled before him. Yet I believe that there are times when people would rather receive Jesus in glory, power, and might. It's foolish, really, but many believe that they are beyond all this judgment of God stuff. And they do not want Christ to come before them in humility. No, they think they're above and beyond all of that. They may not say it outright, but they live like it. Every time a person despises the humble gifts of God, that's what they are living like. As they confuse the meekness of God and his gifts for weakness, and they look at the simple gifts of water and word, body and blood, and they scoff to themselves. They say, why? It's simply incomprehensible that God would humble himself to place his gifts in such humble and poor means. Water, wafer, wine. And they look at these things and can only conceive of weakness and delusion. Now, God's too big for all of this stuff. He's too powerful. He's too mighty, too glorious to contain himself and his grace in such a simple thing. Like a poor man riding into Jerusalem. Like a simple chalice and a little wafer. Oh, far be it. And of course, there's the cross itself. That's a scandal to the world. For God to die? Oh, that's just too much. If he's God, he would not die for what? For sin? This is where the scandal becomes too much for many because they don't believe in sin. They believe that they're worthy of divine favor. They're worthy of God's divine blessings. But they think that divine judgment, that's just too mean. It's not nice. I don't like it. God's not mean. God is nice. And so a cross, the shedding of blood, the outpouring of divine wrath upon the sinless Son of God, those don't make sense. Jesus isn't dying to save us from sin because sin's not a big deal. No, God's dying on the cross. That's to, to show us injustice and, and, and to help us find out what social justice means. And they say to themselves, God loves me the way I am. There'd be no judgment. He made me this way. I'm really not intent on changing myself. So all of this humility, this cross, this death, this judgment stuff, that really doesn't mean much to me. I'm content with just being a good person. God is nice. I'm nice. God will accept me. This is how many people would choose to approach God. They would choose to approach the Lord apart from the humble king who rides to his death. 
No, rather they approach him based on their own self-justifications and they would seek to glorify themselves before the glorious God of the universe. They want nothing to do with humility. They want nothing to do with suffering. They want what they want. They're slaves to their desires. And they will flaunt their desires and call them a virtue. And people do this all the time. Those who are obsessively materialistic, they will look at the tons of the money they make and they would look at the tons of stuff they've bought with that money and they will use that to claim they have virtue. They're good. And they'll show off all that they have so that others can marvel at their accomplishments. Or someone will have a sinful and aberrant sexual appetite and desire and rather than wrestle against it, they'll make it the center focal point of their identity and as they do that, they will claim that this identity is the core of their personality and that accepting their new identity is what makes other people into good and accepting people. If you're nice, if you're good, you will encourage everything I do. And then, of course, there's everyone else. They just want everyone to like them. And so they'll say or believe or do anything so long as people will say, you're a good person. They'll support the murder of babies, the warping of young minds, the mutilation of our adolescents, the sexual perversions of every kind. Just so long as people think they're nice, because niceness is what it's all about. This is all born out of a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus has come to do. It's born out of sinful pride. It wants to take what we love what we desire and what we find pleasure in and offered it to God as evidence of my righteousness. And we're foolish enough to think that God would be impressed with our prideful pursuits in this life. This sinful man is so deluded that he thinks that his love of money, love of self, desire for pleasure, radical self-justifications and general niceness are good and presentable to the holy God of the universe. But it's never presentable to God. It is only through the humility of Jesus Christ that human beings become presentable to God. It's what the world would scoff at. It's what the world would laugh at and say is not important, not necessary, not good. Yet it is the meekness of Jesus, and in this meekness, that the power of God is made known. That's what St. Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians as he says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I mean, think about this, the foolishness and weakness of God. What's Paul saying? Nothing other than Jesus in all his humility is the power of God to save. God's power can only be made known through God's love, and God's love is seen in his grace to sinners. Jesus was not helpless, and so he offers himself freely. He humbles himself for our sake. The immortal man is made mortal. The all-powerful one embraces powerlessness. Your creator makes himself your brother. 
He takes the form of a slave. And that's what it says in Philippians. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something that he had to grasp by force, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in that humility, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we look and see how did Jesus come and choose to rule over us? How does Jesus become king over humanity and over his church? Well, his authority to rule over us is not found in his eternal, transcendent, and immutable power as the God of everything. It could be, but that is not how he chooses to do it. He chooses to be merciful. He chooses to become our king through his lowliness, through his suffering, through his grace and humility. This is the basis of Christ's reign over us, as he is exalted and lifted up over all because of his obedient death on the cross. This is the sort of God-king that we have. It is the God-king who loves you. He's the sort that would die to make you righteous. He humbles himself to be like us so that we could in turn follow and become like him. That's the heart and soul of the gospel. He makes himself lowly. He becomes sin himself so that we could become the righteousness of God and be exalted with him. Sinners are to be humble before Christ. They are to be made known and to see their sin. They see their vanity. A sinner sees his pride, a sinner sees his ignorance, a sinner sees his foolishness. And in this he is made to fear God. The truly humble person knows what he deserves from God. He knows his sinful condition has won him nothing but divine wrath. But in the midst of all of that holy fear that his sinful condition has won him nothing, he sees God come to him in humble mercy. A sinner sees God become meek and lowly. They see him set his divine power and his right to divine wrath aside for their sake. They see him as his pure and simple love, mercy, mercy and brotherly consolation is made known and made clear as they are looking at their Savior riding into Jerusalem. They see him humble and mounted on the foal of a beast of burden, and the sinner cries out, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. The sinner who has been humbled before God does not boast in his virtue. He does not boast in his accomplishments, his wealth, his sexual identity, his niceness, his work ethic, or how well he's accepted by the world around him. No, the sinner sees Jesus coming, and what does he do? He says, save me. He sees the lowly one on a donkey. 
and cries out to him as his only hope and salvation. And that's because there's no other hope for sinners. There is no other consolation. It is only the forgiveness of sins. That is all that we have. That is the only hope we poor sinners can boast in. It's our humble king who rides to his cross on a lowly beast of burden. There is no salvation apart from Christ. Jesus alone is the savior of the world. It says in Acts, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth given among men by which we must be saved. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no boasting, there's no strength, there's Jesus. And only Jesus. That's why God often allows us to be humbled in this life. You know, you got to think about and examine ourselves. When we think we're strong, when we think we're wealthy, when we think we're wise, when we think we're powerful, God will often allow something to happen in our lives to prove the opposite. We think about it when we, we think we have it all figured out, then God humbles us with something we can't figure out. We think we have everything set in our lives, and then God sends a little disruption or allows something to happen. And why? So that we see our need for Jesus. And so often when we accomplish something, when we master a subject or earn some money or do something difficult, and we begin to think more of ourselves than we ought to, we will begin to consider ourselves to be stronger and wiser and more resolved and more righteous than we actually are. And there are times then that God in his perfect mercy, what does he do? He humbles us. He will rob us of some strength or he will make our money just a little bit more useless or he'll make us feel just a little bit more foolish. Why? So that we put no weight or benefit or hope or find no consolation in anything that is in me or from me or by me. He reminds us of our sins and our desperate need for a savior he reminds us of the one who rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And when this happens, what else can we do? When our money becomes useless or our bank account is all of a sudden empty, what do we do when I think I all had it figured out, I thought I was stronger than I was, and then I stumble and mess everything up? What do I do when I thought I was the smart guy in the room and then all of a sudden I realize I've had it all wrong my entire life? What do I do when I think I'm virtuous and good and then I end up hurting all the right people in my life? Well, I run to Jesus. I run to the one who hears my penitential cry as I shout, Hosanna to my king. And that is what our King Jesus rides into Jerusalem to be. He's the answer to our prayers for forgiveness and salvation. He rides into Jerusalem and he does so to make peace. He comes to help sinners. He does so by humbling himself. And that's the most amazing thing. The one who can boast doesn't. Rather, he takes on the form of a servant. He comes to us as a man, a poor man, a suffering servant of humanity. Isaiah describes him having no form of majesty we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. 
And so he wasn't attractive to the eyes, even more than that, as he came uh, lowly and ugly, he comes to die, as it says he's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, we esteemed him not, surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned aside every one of us to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the servant that Christ becomes. The most high, the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most holy makes him the, uh, himself the object of wrath, disdain. He makes himself ugly in the eyes of men. He makes himself small. He makes himself weak. And then he rides into Jerusalem to save us. See, Jesus doesn't balk at humility. He embraces it. He loves it. The God of the universe loves to serve you. That's what he does for us today as our, our Lord serves our undeserving and lowly selves. And what, what do we bring? What do we have to offer? What can we all collectively boast about today as we gather as the body of Christ? Can we tout any personal self-righteousness? Can we brag about our great accomplishments? Can we flaunt massive amounts of cash before our God? No. We bring nothing to the table. We can only come before our God with empty hands and sorrowful hearts as we sing together, Holy, Holy, Lord, God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Our Lord comes to us in humility to answer our prayers. He comes to us in bread and wine. He comes to us in water and word, and we receive him for the forgiveness of our sins. We receive him for the cleansing of our consciences. We receive him for righteousness' sake. As King Jesus humbles himself in such a way that we receive him in pure and simple ways because it is his desire to serve and help and save us as we live before him. As we receive him, he makes us righteous. He brings righteousness to the children of Israel. It's not given in any other way. Christ is exalted before us in this way. As he offers himself in humility for the sake of poor sinners, he serves us, he helps us, he saves us, he forgives our sins, and then he also calls us to help and serve each other. He invites us to join in his humility to be humble like him, and to care for each other as he does. And this is what St. Paul is talking about when he exhorts the humble. As we read a minute ago, we'll read it again. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What is Paul calling us to do? Imitate your king. Be like him. He calls us to strive for the type of humility that Jesus has in giving himself over to death for our sake. And that means we humble ourselves enough, A, 
to seek forgiveness before our God. And then also, we humble ourselves enough to forgive each other, to not bear grudges in God's congregation, to act in charity toward our neighbor, willingly bearing with their weakness, forgiving often, loving with patience, and bearing the burdens of others. That is our calling in St. Paul's text today. How sad and unnecessary it is when people who are part of God's church fear alone and overwhelmed by their burdens. It should never be so. It should be the goal of every Christian to bear the burdens of their neighbor just as Christ bore the burden of our sin. And sometimes that can be just very simple, small things within the life of the church. We pray for each other. We intercede for the needs of our neighbor. We show kindness to a person who doesn't deserve it. We deny ourselves our pride and our hardness of heart. And being the first to apologize, we seek reconciliation and conflict. Sometimes it may be even as simple as dealing with people that may get on your nerves with a little love and patience. Humility most definitely calls us to forgive, though, without hesitation. Of course, we can feed the hungry, we can encourage the broken heart, we can visit the lonely, we can never cease worshiping our Savior in the presence of each other. Those are all acts of humility. Yet we should not regard ourselves as greater or more important. This all pales in comparison to Christ and his humility. And just as he was made lowly in his entry to Jerusalem, as he was brought to the lowest depths of humanity as he died upon the cross, he is the servant of all as he bore the sins of all. And he comes to the world not as the Lord of glory, but as a suffering Savior who loves us. And as a sin offering, his body is put to death and his blood is spilled to serve as the propitiation, the price to be paid for all of our sins. As the wrath of God is born in his flesh, he suffers, he dies in our place. That is humility. He died for those who would be offensive to him. He dies for those who are offended by him. He dies for those who sin against God himself. Such is the servant king that we have. Such is the loving creator that we worship, such as the God that we gather around today and receive from his hand great mercy, great gifts, and great promises. This is the love that God has for sinners, as Christ is exalted through his humble and loving work. He calls us to himself. He calls us to know that he surely has borne our sorrows. Even as he's borne the labor of our sorrow, he calls us to find rest in him. As he says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who have been humbled by sin and this sinful world. Come to all to me who suffer under the yoke of their own failures. Come to me who see the weight and the damage that their sin causes in this world. Come to me for I am lowly and gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest in your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is how our king comes to bring salvation and righteousness. This is how he comforts the daughter of Zion. 
And so we rejoice to receive the service that he brings. We rejoice to be cared for and served by our God who wins the victory and who calls us into his glorious light and life. And we find comfort in his care for us. And as we follow after him, we do so in humility, with our eyes fixed on the kingdom where we will be exalted before him forever and ever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the humility of Jesus that earns us life, salvation, and righteousness. Help us to be like Jesus and to humbly love and serve each other. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the true faith, the life everlasting, in the name of Jesus, amen. We rise. <laughs>